Good afternoon and uh, bless you. It's good to see all your smiling faces and some of them that are not so smiling, but uh, it's wonderful to be together in the presence of the Lord. Welcome home, Lair. We've missed you for a long time. You've been in Armenia. It's good to have you here with us. It's always an honor and a privilege to worship the Lord together. And uh, I see a few others. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bless you, Monica. Let's just bow our heads and pray as we come to the word. Father, we want to thank you for the richness of your word. We want to thank you for the truth of it for the reality of what it is and what its effects are in our lives. We just ask, Lord, as we come to it, that uh, you would bring it to life in a way that uh, would touch us deeper than it uh, has in the past, that this would be a step in all the steps that you have brought us through to guide us to where you're taking us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you about the mint, right? So let's see how this uh, works this time. Uh, I'm looking at 35 minutes. Okay. Title for my sermon today is Harvest Deception. What's that mean? Well, Sylvan and I uh, went out yesterday and I spent some, I guess you can't see behind me on this, I unmute that. We went to the garden center and I realized that it's actually a thing where people at this time of the year or even earlier spend time going out, picking up different herbs and vegetables and different things. I mean, she's done this for such a long time. Uh, She plants in the backyard. It's a small backyard, but she plants and uh, she trades with others in the church, Eddie, Avidis, Yechpayet, and uh, they compare notes and they look at what harvest is and how things are going. So I spent some time on the front end this time. I've always enjoyed the back end where you pick it off the vine and and enjoy it. But this time I was up at the front end. Mind you, I wasn't that close to it. I just watched her do it and I was just enjoying it. But it uh, was interesting because it came right in the middle of something that the Lord had been speaking to me about for some time now. And I've been percolating this thought and I had parked it and it just came back full force through the week, and then Saturday we're there at the garden center picking out different plants and different things. And uh, what I want to share with you is some realities of harvest. And how many of you remember what my favorite book is? Uh, Yes, Genesis. So we're going to be spending some time in Genesis as well today. So when we plant, and people that were with us, uh, Miguel and Lisa Sanchez, when they were with us for the Light Up Your World Day, they shared with us realities about what happens when you plant specific types of seed. Do you remember? And how many remember how many seeds a sunflower produces? A thousand, right? So that was an interesting fact. A lot of us were shocked that it was that many. But uh, let's look at some of the reality of harvest. In the book of Genesis in chapter 1, we read about the days of creation. Now, you can debate whether those were 24-hour days like we know days, or they were eras, or they were time frames. It doesn't really matter. The reality is the Genesis account is not a scientific account as much as it's a real account of what God has done in history. 
Okay? So don't look at it as we have to prove this scientifically. Even though science sometimes comes along and finds that there's evidence that matches what this is all about. Whether it's 24-hour days, whether it's 20,000 eons, it doesn't really matter. The reality is that there's an order that the Lord has created things in, and he created them in a specific way with specific principles that are active to this day. So in day one, do you remember what he created? He said, let there be light. And there was light, and there was uh, darkness. The darkness he called evening, the light he called day, the first day. The second day, he created, or he actually separated the waters from each other. And he put a great expanse in between them. And the expanse he called sky. And on the first day, he said that that was a very good day. He said that was very good. Sorry, he said it was good. On the second day, he doesn't say it was good. The water that he had separated was later used in the flood. So he knew that. In his heart, he knew. So he didn't call it a good day. And to this day, Monday, a lot of people still dread. Anyway, that's you can do what you want with that. The third day, (laughs) the third day, He created vegetation. The fourth day, he created stars in the heavens to use as signs and as markers for days of holidays and and festivals and, and celebrations and times. On the fifth day, he created sea creatures and air creatures. So the Navy and the Air Force. On the sixth day, he created land animals And humanity. So out of all of that, there are some principles that we have to grasp that are right there in our face. We can't miss them. And I want to highlight them. So I call them the laws of the harvest. And one of the laws is that one reaps what one sows. We'll see that as we go through the verses of Genesis. The other one is that one reaps where one sows. Okay? One reaps more than one sows. One seed planted in the ground will produce a sunflower, and that sunflower will produce a thousand seeds. One reaps later than one sows. You don't put the seed into the ground and expect it to immediately sprout and bear fruit, and off you go. So keep these four things in your back of your mind as we discuss what we're going to talk about this afternoon. This was all instituted, as I said, in the very first account of God's interaction with his creation. So in the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plant, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. You're not going to expect to get trees floating in the air or under the sea. Animals that are in the sea are animals that will bear fruit in the sea. Vegetation that's on the ground will bear vegetation on the ground. Birds in the air will bear birds in the air. Plants bearing seed according to their kind and trees having or bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said that the water... Team with living creatures and let the birds fly 
above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which, uh, with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kind. So there's two of the principles right there in our face. The first one is you will reap what you sow according to your kind. If you reap a bird, you will bear a bird. You, are, you will receive the harvest of a bird. If you, like, it's, it's not going to change. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so God blessed them and said to them, to the, animal, to the sea animals and to the birds, He said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So this principle of multiplication exists right from the very, very beginning. How many of you heard sermons about Sabbath? That the Sabbath was not something that was instituted by God through the law of Moses. That it was a principle that predates the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. It was a principle of nature that we cannot violate this principle of nature and expect to get good results. Scientific studies, medical studies are now confirming that if you expose animals to stress, they will experience a rise in their corticosteroid levels and those will cause damage to their bodies to the point that their lifespan will be affected dramatically. Scientists have actually taken rat labs, lab rats, lab rats, and put them in uh, terrariums and had them to measure their life expectancy. That was group one. And they understood what the life, normal life cycle of a, rab, uh, of a lab rat is. And they kept that as their standard. And then they took another group and they exposed them to another terrarium with snakes. Now, snakes and rats, the rats recognized them as a threat. And that caused, and they measured their blood levels of corticosteroids. And they found that the corticosteroids in the exposed rats was significantly higher and that their life expectancy was almost halved. And these now were exposed to these snakes all week long for a few weeks at a time. Then they took another group and every seven days they took the snakes away. The levels would spike. On the seventh day they would start dropping. And before you know it, it would spike and drop, spike and drop, spike and drop. And the life expectancy of these now, these lab rats that were exposed but had a Sabbath, was the same as the rat labs that were now never exposed. So it tells us that there's a principle in creation that we need a level of rest once every seven-day cycle. It's built into our fabric. It's built into the earth. It's built into creation. And we need that to be able to function healthily. So if you're not getting that, take this as a reminder that if you don't sow rest, eventually you will get premature rest. Right? That's a principle. We can't defy that. But even before that principle of Sabbath, which was on the seventh day, on the third day, we read about the principle of reproduction and harvest and bear, uh, bearing fruit according to its own kind. So you see that here with the vegetation. Every type of living uh, plant has seed within it, and it bears 
fruit according to the seed it carries. An orange will never bear an apple. Yeah, you can graft and do all kinds of genetic modifications and things, but you're modifying and you're hybridizing and you're changing. But the reality is the DNA that is existing in a wheat plant will always bear wheat, but it will not bear tares. And likewise with tares, it will always bear tares, but it never will bear wheat. We need to understand that. So as he's explaining all of this, now he comes to the sixth day, and he says the same things. And in the, in the previous day, on the fifth day, he tells them to increase. So the principle of multiplication existed before the principle of the Sabbath. It was something that God instituted right at the beginning of all of the manifestation of his spoken word that he says, let there be animals. The animals, he tells the animals in the sea and in the water, excuse me, in the water and in the air, to go forth and multiply and increase and fill the domain that they're in. We are created to possess. All of creation has been created to multiply, to spread out, and to possess this domain that we have been given. Whether you're a bird in the air or a fish in the sea, you have been commanded, and it's actually spoken into your very DNA, your fabric, that you are to multiply and to fill the space that you occupy. And we do that. We've done that with our cities. It's a natural thing that we do. But sometimes we do it a little bit off base. So on the sixth day, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to, the, to their own kind. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. So he had cows and donkeys and monkeys and snakes and all those things that live above the ground, each according to its own kind. And so it was. God made the wild animals according to their kind, their livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. Now, there's some principles when we read the Bible that we have to adhere to. One of the principles is the principle of multiple repetitions. If it's said once in the Bible, it's important. If it's said twice, it's very important. If it's repeated repeatedly like this, according to its own kind, in a few verses, then for crying out loud, I think the Holy Spirit is shouting with a bullhorn saying, pay attention to this, it's critical. Right? So we miss it. There's a principle that he's highlighting in all of this. And God saw that it was good. God said, let's make mankind in our image. So what kind was man created in? God's kind. We've been created according to a specific kind. We're not like the rest of the animals. We're not like, you know, all of the birds and the fish and all of that. We're not like vegetation. We are a different, unique creation according to a specific design that is to mimic the character And the behavior, the mindset, the nature of God. That's built into our very foundation. Yeah, our DNA samples may look somewhat similar to the DNA of the chimpanzee or to other animals. We have, you know, two arms, two legs, two eyes, two ears. All of of creation almost has that. The animal kingdom all looks that way. Mammals, yeah, but we are a different breed than all of the rest of them. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the, of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals or over the cre- all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Now he didn't say he created it, he created mankind according to his own kind, but in the image. So we're a reflection. We're not a genetic duplicate, right? We're not an apple off an apple tree, but we look like him with an intent. The intent is that we would grow to be like him, to receive his very nature, but now we're shells that have been made to be able to contain his nature and his character and his DNA. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And here's the catch. Male and female, he created them. They're not identical, male and female. They're compatible. And one is meant to contain the seed of the other to bear its fruit together. The woman is not just a carrier for man's seed to bear man's baby, but she is a compatible mate so that the two of them combining their DNAs would bear the fruit together. You with me so far? And that's a type and a picture of the relationship between humanity and God. We are a vessel to contain the seed of his life within us. We're the female in the relationship, if you will, to contain his seed, to bear his fruit with us mixed together. It's not just his fruit that we bear, but we have a role in the equation. We have the other half of this mixture that bears the right fruit. It's all subtleties that are in there, but these are realities. And, and Paul talks about this, Jesus talks about this much later. But it's laid there in the foundation, like I said, even before the Sabbath, this principle of reproduction and reproduction according to its own kind, consistency in reproduction, is built right in. So God blessed them, who? The male and the female. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and, every, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he gave humanity a mandate to multiply, to spread, to increase, and to have authority over all the other creation. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God created man vegetarian. Anyway, I love a good steak as much as anybody else, but I think there's something there. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. What some could argue, well, he didn't say I don't give you the animals. Anyway, different discussion. And so it was. God saw that all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The seventh day he rested from all his work. But in these six, six days, we see some key principles that we need to understand. I already showed you this. The laws of the harvest. That one will reap what one sows. Right? Silva can't expect to plant basil and all of a sudden get parsley. It's not going to happen. 
When you plant basil, basil is what will grow. If you plant cucumbers, as close as they are to zucchinis, you're not going to get a zucchini at the end of the day. They're close in shape, maybe in color, maybe in appearance, but they're not the same. You will plant, you will reap where you sow. You can't expect to plant in Silva's backyard and all of a sudden in Salpi's backyard, things will begin to grow. It won't work that way. We all wish, right? But there's also another principle that it will always yield more than what you plant. Now, the last one, you will always reap later than when you sow. Now, this reality, this truth, this principle of harvest and sowing and harvesting has been used in the church often to relate to what? What have you heard it taught about? Money. A lot of times. I'm not going to say all the time, but a lot of times. That's actually very true. But that's not where my sermon is going today. But the reality is, if you are harvesting poverty, guess what? What are you sowing? Poverty. And that's why the church pushes this idea of being faithful in tithing, faithful in generosity, faithful in giving, because it will bear the fruit. Where you sow, you will bear the fruit. What you sow, you will bear. If you sow sparingly, you will bear sparingly. If you sow in abundance, you will bear in abundance. If you sow one seed, you'll get one sunflower. If you sow two seeds, you'll get two sunflowers. Three seeds, and so on. So there's a principle there. And the church has been sometimes labeled as being focusing too much on money. But guess what? That is the one theme that affects all of us. And in reality, it's the one theme that Jesus talked more about, except for the kingdom of heaven. He talked about money the most. Because he knows that that is so close to our existence and to our security and to our understanding of who we are and who God is. That's why God instituted it as part of the tithe and everything else. But let's move on. That's not my focus today. I just wanted to draw that as an illustration. So when we talk about these things, these principles were established right at the very beginning. Adam and Eve have been created. They have the garden. They're eating the fruit. As it was There's was a couple of trees in the garden that are so very special. One is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other the is the tree of life. Fine, and God tells them fine, not to eat the of the tree of feeds this knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because when they eat of it, the they will surely die. In other words, if they sow that, they will reap that. If they sow into their bodies the desire of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it will bear in their body death. 
I had restrictions as to what I can't, can't He do. warned them about that. He uh, didn't tell them anything about the tree of football, life. I, can play rugby, I wonder why they didn't take of that first. Anyway, so while these uh, laws are inescapable, we cannot escape this. This is a law that's been built into the totality of creation. You don't have to teach a plant to multiply. If the seed falls into the ground, as a matter of fact, sometimes animals eat fruit with seed in it, and when they go through the digestive process, they go somewhere and they wander around in the desert or in the jungle or whatever, and they drop their droppings with seeds in them miles away from where they ate them. And guess what happens? Those seeds fall into the ground, and all of a sudden, the plant that they had eaten, half you know, across the range, all of a sudden starts growing there, according to the very seed that they had ingested. Nobody needs to tell that seed, okay, now new plant. We had this machine Nobody. In the gym and it's built into creation. And I at it, and I built it's a, a principle. A it's inescapable. And the more but yet, many are deceived. The, more this joint was strong. the first decep- deception, when we read the word deceived, it makes us realize that, first of all, that there is a deceiver, and that there is a deception, and that there is a deceived. Because of this misalignment. I could and stand like a I love the word deceived. Feet flat out. And stand there. It sounds, not spells, weird. but it sounds like this, Eve, also weird. D. But it gave me some advantages. And that was the first person to be deceived. Eve. Satan comes to her. My mint is going fast. <laughs> Satan comes to her and says to her, Why don't you consider eating this tree? The fruit of it is so beautiful. Look at it. You will be like gods when you eat it. So she had a destiny, and her destiny was to be Eve. But all of a sudden, when she got deceived, she became deceived. In other words, she lost her destiny. I know it's funny, but the reality is, we all fall into the same trap. You can be disalpied, you can be disalinad, you can be dismarried. Why? Because Mary, Salpi, Alina have a destiny of their own and they have been created with a purpose. But when they're deceived, they are off that purpose. They're not living it up to it. So in the English language, the word deceive is actually a key that God built into our vocabulary to remind us, don't be like Eve and be deceived. Live it right. In Galatians, Paul writes it this way. Do not be deceived. And very gradual. Don't miss your mark. God is not mocked. For you will you reap whatever you sow. So I want to ask a hard question now. What in your life sucks? But kicking the ball with my toes. What stinks in your life? Distance and lift was impossible. I could only kick it that way. What do you not like? Imagine a golfer, and all you could do is hit it that way. You can't get too far. What habit? Right? What situation? You're passing the ball, but you can't get What mess? So that misalignment... What is it a fruit of? ...caused an unnatural reaction within the ball joint. If it's bad health... What's it a fruit of? I don't want to make you go on a guilt trip here. That's not my point because there's so many different factors. We could have inherited genes that are faulty, that are causing us to have heart disease or diabetes or whatever, right? I'm not trying to fault us. 
But there is a reality that it is a fruit of something. And it may not necessarily be the fruit, that, the seed that you planted, because it takes a while for it to manifest. You know what I mean? As a matter of fact, when God spoke these things, He built some factors into how we can deal with it. So let me talk a little bit more about this harvest. The harvest actually has two key properties. One is the quality of the harvest. The quality will never be different than that which is sowed. And I don't mean the, in terms of veracity and how healthy it is. I'm talking about the nature. Right? Cucumbers will always give cucumbers. a huge amount of steps. Right? I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about the size of the cucumber or the healthiness of the cucumber or how full. You know, if you don't water the cucumber, you'll still get a cucumber uh, on the vine, but it's going to be limping and weak and whatever. But it's still a cucumber. I'm talking about that. The quality will never change. And then the quantity is the other factor. Those two are given. But there's going to be more than you sow. And there's going to be the same as what you sow. My knee in my foot right? had to so when we're looking at situations in our life that are hard and not good, we have to realize that they're coming from the same quality of what has been sown in. And if we're seeing it manifest today in a bigger quantity than it was sown in a small quantity before somewhere along our history, whether by us or by the generations before us. We cool so far? So let me put it in our, our you know, words that we understand. In our lives... If we have a misalignment in our heart, many factors may affect God, the quantity. We subconsciously, if there's not enough sunshine, if there's, if there's not enough rain, and if there's not enough nutrients you know in the soil, and if there's you know other vegetation around it that will choke it, the harvest won't be as healthy in terms of quantity. But you will get something. You're going to get definitely more than what you put in. Definitely. That's guaranteed. Quantity is going to be variable. But the quality or the nature, right? The nature is not going to be different. What are some other factors? Well, there's the factor of grace. Scripture tells us that you will harvest where you haven't sown. How many can attest to that? You have received a favor for something that you did nothing about. But all of a sudden you show up and you have good luck or good, quote unquote, good favor. You didn't deserve it. You earned nothing, but it was just handed to you. It may have been an inheritance from your parents. I'm not talking money. I'm talking about quality uh, stuff, like, like life stuff. Is this familiar to you? Right? Most of us here are migrants. We have come here from other places. Whether you've been here for two, three generations or not, or whatever, most of us have come from other places. Our parents or us have made the decision to move to Canada, and now we're enjoying the benefits of Canada. We didn't do much to deserve it. It just shows up at our doorstep because we happen to be here. That is misaligned has caused things inside of your The proportion... There's a reality to the fact that it's a proportional harvest. If you sow a thousand seeds, you're going to get 
X times a thousand. If you sow two, two seeds, you're going to get the same X times two. It's not going to be, you know, all of a sudden you can't expect the proportions to shift because you've, you've sown more or less. It's going to be always in the equal proportions. There's always a factor of patience that we have to have. So with all of this in mind, we have to remember that the last harvest you have to forget about. What does that mean? You ask a farmer, how was last year's harvest? Was that was last year. I'm concerned about this year's harvest. You can't change last year's harvest. You talk to basketball players as they're coming off the game. They just won it. So how do you feel? Well, we just got to focus on the next game now. Whether they won it or lost it. The past is the past. You got to forget the past and keep moving forward. But God gave us a promise in this. In that while the past is unchangeable, the present and the future are. The present and the future are. So whatever you're harvesting today, good or bad, you have been given authority by God to have the ability to change that situation and to do it by His power today. If it's your health, by his stripes you have been healed. If it's a genetic transmitted thing, today you have the authority by God to break it off. Let me tell you why I say that. Because he gave this promise right at the very, very beginning. When he gave the Ten Commandments, the second commandment. Do you remember the commandments? Have I shown you how to remember the commandments on my, on my hands? People at the well have heard this many times. The problem isn't even my ankle. Did I do this with acts? Okay, real quick. The Ten Commandments in five easy steps, or ten easy steps. Number one, you shall have one God. And I learned this from Salpi as she was teaching it to the Sunday school kids one day. Number one is one God. Number two is you shall have no God higher than this one God. Number three is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number four is remember the Sabbath, because without your thumb you can't get much work done. Number five is... Stop thinking about Honor your parents that your days may be long as they bless you in the land that I'm giving you. Number six is don't murder. Number seven is don't go off committing adultery. Number eight is don't steal. Number nine is don't bear false witness. Don't say it's five when it's four. And number ten is don't covet your neighbor's wife. That's so easy to remember. You can't forget it once you've seen it. And he puts a new part of I've been haunted by this. <laughs> so on the second commandment where he said, you shall have no God higher than me, right? That was built in to the very nature of creation from the very beginning, that he is God and nothing else is. Right? None of the stuff that he created in heaven, on earth, under the earth, none of it is higher than him. So he says these words in the commandments to Moses. He says, he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, angels, planets, whatever, or on the earth beneath, or in the water. Nothing created will become an idol for you, in other words. Including yourself. Including your parents. Including your children. Including your spouse. So on every direction, 360 degrees, nothing is higher than God. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am jealous. God, am a jealous God, punishing the, children's, uh, the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So even if you've inherited something, 
from your parents because of a wrong that they have sown, a seed that was wrong that has been sown. If it has been sown, it can carry to three, four generations. And we see this throughout Scripture about how even kings like David, how his misbehavior caused misbehavior, sexual misbehavior, caused sexual misbehavior with his kids. One of his sons raped one of his daughters. He had done that before with one of his best friends when he took Bathsheba and slept with her and had a child with her and had her husband killed to cover it up. The little seed multiplies in the next generation. It gets even worse. The harvest is always more than the seed that's sown. Don't fool yourselves. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. These principles are alive and they're functional. But he says... So in your life, you will find that situation. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So today and tomorrow, you have control to shift that. You have the ability to realign what has been sown wrong by receiving grace to bring it back into that 1,000 generation that can start with you. You can realign things and bring things into the proper order so that whatever has happened in the past can end today. And that's the mercy of God. He knows we can't live up to the standard. He's given us the sacrifice of His Son on His own. And we're coming to the table now where that's a reminder for us that we can't save ourselves, we can't heal ourselves, we can't fix ourselves. But Him, has done, He has done it all. He has given it to us on a platter. But we don't sow it. We sow the other. As much as we understand the principles of harvest, of sowing and reaping that which we have sown, we continually sow the wrong things. We demonstrate that to our kids and the way we speak to them and the way we function in front of them. Even behind their back, we have our secrets and those secrets actually will not be hidden. They will manifest in the life of the children behind us. So we have the opportunity today to get it right. Not because we will do anything other than just repent and come to Him and say, Lord, may the power of Your cross continually work in my life today to bring me to the correct alignment. So from here, from me forward, to a thousand generations, people will enjoy your blessing. And we still are walking misaligned, by the way. We will still continue issues of alignment of the heart of the church. And there's always going to be members in the church that are This is from Scripture. For misalignment. From Corinthians. Paul puts it this way. Whoever sows sparingly will also sow sparingly, or reap sparingly. But you feel them as problems. He's talking about righteousness sowing. And out of your goodness, he says, whoever sows abundantly will also reap abundantly. He's talking about righteousness sowing. Put them side by side. In some cases, and that's who we are. We do both. There are some things that we sow in abundance that are good. Some have left and the flower is nice and blooming and it's ready to bear the seeds. But within the same heart, there are some things that we sow that are disgusting. But the Lord is bringing us to the place today where we can repent about this, thank Him for this, and move forward. So let's stand up as the kids are joining us and prepare ourselves for the communion. This leg had no idea what was going on in this leg at all. This leg has no clue that there's a problem up in the hip. All it knows is that Father, we recognize got to swing around and rub down here so that it makes it feel our better. frailty, so our sinfulness, anything that you have experienced, our inability. You come Sunday mornings, you worship, it feels great, your spirits are lifted, you go home, 
Lord, we recognize that yet, even as your children, we are still sinners. Like the rest of all humanity, we are all sinners. As Christians, as believers, and as followers of your Son, we have a difference in that that difference is that we have been now given grace to overcome, to win, to be victorious over sin, its temptation, its power within our lives. So, Father, where we have sown the wrong things, we ask for grace right now to cover us, to restore us. Where we have inherited the fruit of those things that have been sown in our generations. We ask for mercy, Lord. We recognize that our parents are no different than us. They need grace. Grace from us and grace from you. So, Lord, we bless them. We ask for your mercy. And we ask, Lord, that today that mercy extends to us and to the generations that will come behind us as we cut off the effect of that which was sown in the past, that we would enjoy the new fruit of your goodness in our lives. We thank you for the power of the cross because once and for all, as we sang earlier during our worship, that death has been overcome. I have to learn how to deal that, with that sin has been overcome. Part of our On the cross, you have sown everything. Have pain, like you have given that which is sinless, the yield, the fruit of that which now you know that becomes sinless. You're gonna tell me no, the so. sinless dying for the sinner, that, gift back. that the sinner would become sinless. Pain is a gift. So we thank you for when that. And as we receive the elements, we sanctify ourselves before you. One of them came back in and Jesus thanked him name. and wanted to follow him, but the other nine Amen. just went away. But do you know why that was an issue? 